You're listening to the St John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Hi, my name's Megan and I'm from Sunday at 6. Today's Bible reading is from Matthew 18, 15 to 20. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if, if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done to them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. When I was in my first year at uni, I was having lunch with my friend Julian in the uni cafe. And when we finished eating and we were about to head back to class, I noticed that he had a bit of spinach or something green stuck in his teeth. Now, how many of you just automatically started rubbing your tongue on your teeth to clean them? It's almost a reflex action. Now, I noticed the spinach in Julian's teeth, but I didn't say anything to him. It was a bit awkward, you know, a a bit embarrassing to point out that someone else had this thing in their teeth. So I just kept my mouth shut and we went off to class. Now, Later that day, I suppose, he went to the bathroom and he saw himself in a mirror and he noticed that he had this bit of spinach stuck there. He probably did the the teeth clean to get rid of it. But he wasn't very happy with me. Didn't you notice that I had spinach in my teeth? Well, yes. Why didn't you say something? I've been walking around all afternoon looking like an idiot. You should have told me. Next time, tell me, okay? Now, that might seem like an insignificant incident, but it had a profound impact on me and caused me to go away and reflect deeply. Why hadn't I told him about the spinach? I'd actually failed as a friend in that moment. I failed to love Julian as I should have. If I'd told him about the problem when it was just the two of us, then the embarrassment would have been limited to just us two. It would have been dealt with quickly and easily, but I allowed my own feeling of awkwardness and embarrassment to stop me being loving and expose my friend to even greater embarrassment as he walked around with spinach hanging out of his face for the rest of the day. Since that day, I've made a point of telling people about having spinach in their teeth. Actually, yes, I think you might have a little something in your, no, not that side, the other side. Yep, got it. Now again, 
That seems like such a small example, but the principles of that story help us to understand Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18 about dealing with sin in Christian community. If you notice a brother or sister in Christ with a problem, not spinach, but sin, some area where they aren't living out God's way, are you just going to ignore it and say, none of my business? Or out of love for your brother or sister, are you going to do something about it? And what's the best way to go about dealing with it? Last week, Joel unpacked the first part of Matthew chapter 18 for us, and he reminded us how seriously Jesus takes sin. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. He's speaking metaphorically, but he's telling us that the consequences of sin are serious, and we need to take radical action to root out sin in our lives. Don't risk God's judgment by persisting in sin. Do something about it straight away. Get rid of it. Now, if that's what Jesus is saying to us individually about sin that we notice in our own lives... In today's passage, Jesus speaks about the life of the Christian community, uh, the Christian family, actually. He speaks of brothers and sisters and the fact that we have a responsibility to one another. When we notice that something is off, we need to do something about it. Go directly to a brother or sister. So Matthew 18, 15 says this. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Some Bible translations say, if your brother or sister sins against you. And it's unclear here whether Jesus is speaking about what to do in a, in a conflict situation when someone does something bad to you personally, sins against you, or whether Jesus is talking more generally about any sin which might not impact you personally. Now, the broader category certainly includes the personal offence. And I think we must apply Jesus' teaching to those sorts of situations. But I think it applies more broadly because the context shows that the motivation here is a concern for a fellow believer, someone who is living outside of God's way for them, speaking to them out of love for them rather than just because of a personal offence. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Now, the principle that we see throughout this section is what you might call minimal exposure. The less people that need to be involved, the better. There's no need for everyone to know. If you notice something, then go directly to the person and speak to them one-on-one. If someone offends you, then go directly to them and speak to them one-on-one. There's no reason at this point that anyone else should be involved. 
Now, sadly, this is possibly one of the most ignored and disobeyed instructions of Jesus. Most often when someone sins or sins against us, then we do the following. Firstly, we don't do anything. It's not my business. I don't want to judge other people. And so we just stay silent, allowing a person to continue in sin, perhaps unknowingly. Secondly, if we do speak, we speak about the person to other people and not to the person themselves. I can't believe that Melanie spoke to me like that. She's so rude. Did you notice how much Glenn was drinking the other night? I mean, he was really smashed. No one's called me, and I'm really mad about it. Don't they care about me? Now, this immediately spreads the damage. Other people are dragged into the problem. Other people are made aware of the person's sin and failing. It's a bit like um, kicking burning sticks on the ground so that the fire spreads. What's more, the person involved might be completely unaware of their actions. They might not know that their actions are sinful. They might not know that they've failed you or caused you offence. They might not have meant it to sound like that, or you might have misinterpreted them. But you won't know that if you don't speak to them directly. Jesus' advice is so wise and helpful, and it works so well. How often can things be dealt with if we go one-on-one? Pick up the phone and talk. Take the person aside and say, can we have a coffee and talk? Love the person enough to quietly say to them, I think you've got some spinach in your teeth. It's amazing that we insist on ignoring Jesus' advice so often here. But I can understand the psychological reasons that we do it. Um, It's confronting to just talk one-on-one with a person. What if they get upset or angry? What if they don't like me anymore? Loving people like this is risky and potentially costly. We shouldn't shy away from that reality. And we shouldn't be surprised as followers of Jesus that it's costly to love. Though often when we do speak with a person directly, the results are dealt with simply and smoothly. Misunderstandings are uncovered and dealt with. People are sorry and repentant and seek to change their behaviour. Friendships are strengthened because we're willing to show costly love. Um, This is exactly the scenario that Jesus envisages here. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Note that word, won. The outcome is a victory, like your footy team winning on the weekend. It's a success for them because they've listened and acknowledged their fault. It's a success because they've aligned their life more fully with God's call for them. It's a win for them, 
for you and for the whole church. But Jesus also outlines the scenario where a person doesn't listen to the one-on-one interaction. So in verses 16 and 17, he outlines an increasing involvement of people. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Again, the principle here seems to be minimal exposure. So it's a gradual escalation of the situation, a gradual increase in the seriousness as a person refuses to respond. Uh, Even though more people point out the fault in this situation. In the Old Testament, uh, court cases had to be uh, had to involve two or three witnesses. This was so that an accusation was credible and wasn't just one person's opinion. Uh, in the same way, when we're challenging someone about their behaviour, it may be that they don't agree with our assessment of the situation. And it's wise if a situation can't be resolved just between the two of you to invite other godly and wise people into the situation. Now, they might tell you straight away that you've got it wrong and you should drop it. But they might agree with you that the the behaviour is of concern and be an ally in then confronting the individual. And if this is not successful, then it gets broadened out to the wider gathering of the church. Now, in practice, in a church like ours, it seems to me that life groups have a key role to play in this. Uh, We describe our life groups as being committed to DNA, D, discipleship. We help each other to follow Jesus in all of our lives. Uh, N, nurture. We care for each other in the varying circumstances of life. And A, accountability. It's this last one that people feel most uncomfortable about often. What does it mean to be accountable to other people in a group in the church? Uh, As followers of Jesus, we have certain standards of behaviour that we all agree are important to uphold. And we're also sometimes convicted by the Holy Spirit to change something in our life. Uh, It could be something that we need to repent of, or it could be a a change of direction or a special calling. Uh, And good life groups will see people uh, keep each other accountable to the commitments that we've made and the convictions that we share. Um, Now, accountability is not about a legalistic pass-fail mindset. It's about everyone following Jesus together and helping each other to do it. Again, the motivation for this should be love. If we're building genuine relationships in our life groups and our church, then we should care about each other's walk with Jesus. When there are things that are not good, we need to be loving enough and courageous enough to act. 
a loving life group will say to one of its members, look, I'm concerned that you seem to be so focused on your work that you're neglecting your family. I'm concerned that you never seem to rest. You're running yourself into the ground. I'm concerned about the way that you speak about other people behind their backs. I've been in groups where every one of those things have been said. Christian brothers and sisters who care enough to challenge and to speak, doing it in the context of relationship, doing it out of a, a motivation to love, doing it though it's risky and potentially costly for the good of the other person. Now, sometimes churches use the instructions in this passage to set up formal complaints and disciplinary structures for dealing with conflict and sin. And I think that can be helpful. As I said earlier, I think we neglect the instruction of Jesus here to our detriment. But we do need to be aware of being too rigid in the application of the steps here. Right? The, the principle of minimal exposure is right. Start with just two and increase from there. But there are situations where that's not appropriate, uh, where there's a power imbalance. It might be unsafe for a person to go one-on-one -on -one to another person. In some different cultures, it can be difficult and even inappropriate for a younger person to directly confront an older person. But using the principle of minimal exposure, a third person can be involved right from the outset in the conversation. I have Chinese friends who would do it that way in their church context. And where there's a situation of serious abuse or criminal behaviour, then we need to follow official processes and laws to report this behaviour. Jesus acknowledges that there are situations where people remain unrepentant and where they won't respond, even if the whole church is calling them out on behavior. And so his, his final instruction in these situations is to treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, in Jewish society at the time, pagans and tax collectors were excluded from fellowship. Uh, Jewish people wouldn't eat with them so that they wouldn't be complicit in their sin. Now, Jesus, of course, ate with tax collectors and called them to follow him. But he also challenged their behavior and he didn't leave people sitting in their sin. Uh, in the context of this passage, it seems that the exclusion of people for ongoing and unrepentant sin is in mind. Um, we sometimes call this excommunication. And again, that's one of those words where we, we hear it and we can react negatively against it. Uh, in the Anglican Church, only the bishop has the power to excommunicate someone. That is to insist that a person is not welcome to attend public church services. And it only happens in serious situations. Uh, so people who've committed serious sexual offences, 
um, have been excluded from church gatherings for the safety of the children and also to protect the person themselves from reoffending. But even in these cases, the approach actually is to try and put what's called a safety agreement in place to provide monitored and safe ways for people to be part of a church community. So there's a range of circumstances that we need to be mindful of, and there are variations, of course, to the application of Jesus' teaching. But the principles of taking sin seriously, of loving people deeply and being concerned for them, of being direct with people and not spreading gossip or harm, of being a church community and family and taking seriously our responsibility to each other rather than just worrying about ourselves should shape the way that we respond when we see sin and when we experience conflict with each other. See, Jesus has a very high view of the church. And Jesus holds very high standards for how we care for each other and take responsibility for each other as a community. Verses 18 to 20 speak of the great power and responsibility that we as the church have. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. The language of binding and loosing is about making decisions about what is right and wrong. Now, it's not up to church leaders or church members to determine right and wrong. God does that, and we need to obey what he says in his word, the Bible. But in individual situations, decisions have to be made about what happened and who did what. So the church has to apply the unchanging ethical commands of God to our present circumstances. This has to be done carefully and prayerfully, but Jesus assures us that he is with us as we undertake this important work. It's because God cares for us so deeply. It's because Jesus loves the church so much that he wants us to take sin seriously and to be willing to lovingly, humbly, and carefully challenge each other. How can you best be doing that in the life of this Christian community? Do you need to invest more in relationships to build the level of trust to do this? If you're not in a life group, do you need to join one? If you're staying online with services, where are the relationships and the community to do this for you? Do you need to be more honest and open with other people in your life group or in your Christian network to share about this? 
Do you need to pray about a situation where you need to speak to someone personally? See, Jesus' advice to us is good and it works. A few years ago, a Christian friend confronted me about the way that I had spoken to him. My use of language had been dismissive and judgmental. And I'd made him feel like a decision that he'd made had been stupid. And he felt that it was unfair and it was hurtful. And so he told me. Now, it really hurt me to hear it. But I was so glad that he spoke up and told me. Because I hadn't realised what I'd done. And I was glad that he spoke to me about it and didn't just whinge about me to others. It meant that I could look him in the eye and say, I'm sorry. It meant that we could deal with it there and then. And it meant that our friendship was strengthened as a result, despite my stupidity and my sin. Jesus' way of doing life is good and it works. Let's put it into practice. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.